You know, there are so much treasure to be found in Leviticus. I hope you found that. But we have to mine it. You might remember that statement in the right way. We have to work for it. So, how have you been doing this, with this this month? Are you digging into Leviticus with a new understanding? Has it kind of opened your eyes? You know, digging into Leviticus the way we've been doing it has brought new understanding just for me as I prepared to teach the youth this past Wednesday from Luke 17, 11 through 19. It was the story of the ten lepers. Maybe you know that story. I believe I understand the story a lot better because of our focus on Leviticus this past month. And I'm really thankful uh, to have that clear understanding now of God's Word. You may remember the story. Let me share a little bit with you. Jesus and the ten lepers, that's who he was uh, gathering with, the ten lepers had called out to Jesus to have mercy on them. Jesus then told them to go and show themselves to the priests. The reason for doing this is found in Leviticus 13 and 14. That's where we understand this story. That was a normal procedure for those with leprosy, to go and show themselves to the priest, to, to have themselves examined. They were kind of like the health inspectors. We're kind of familiar with that now. To certify they were cured. It's kind of like they were quarantined for a while, you know. We got that too today. Jesus told them to do what the law said, and they went. Jesus didn't just say, you're cured. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. They just asked for mercy. He put the lepers in position to show their faith. He asked them to act as though they had been cured as they headed to the priests. Luke tells us that while they were going to the priests, ten lepers were cured. While nine of the lepers went to the priests, there's only one leper who was a Samaritan at that, went back to Jesus to show his gratitude for curing him. He acted in humility as he fell and praised and worshipped Jesus. He, by his actions, discovered that Jesus was the way to live in God's presence. How amazing that was. These are the reasons why we're in the book of Leviticus. Because if you're a believer, then God has cleansed you, just like the leper, by paying the debt for your sin by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. We sang about that. Jason, I appreciate the team and, and the songs that we sang that were just so appropriate for this message. So some things I'm asking you today and asking me. Are you showing gratitude to God for paying this high price? Are you demonstrating a heart of thankfulness for the many blessings God has given you? How is your worship? Is it filled with joy? Is your worship prideful or is it with humility like this leper? You know, with Thanksgiving also being this week, my hope is that this message will be a reminder to always have a grateful heart that's so easy to forget with all the chaos, as Pastor Mark shared about, and all the things going on that we can get distracted. Having a grateful heart. So join with me as we discover four ways to live near God's presence. Let's pray together first. God, thank you for the opportunity just to share the truths of your word. God, I pray that your word will be brought forth. God, that we will have ears to hear what you want us to hear, that your Holy Spirit move and convict us as you move in our lives as believers. And God, I pray for that one, just as Drew prayed, God, that does not know you, God, that you would draw them to salvation by the preaching of your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's review. We're going to look at the structure of Leviticus, the guiding principles of Leviticus, and the theology of Leviticus. I'm kind of getting tongue-tied on Leviticus here, so... 
So let's look at the first slide. You may remember this. The structure equals solution. You know, the structure answers this question or dilemma. How can the corrupt Israelites live near God's goodness without being destroyed? That's kind of like us, right? I want to remind you of this visual on that structure of Leviticus for the ritual, the priesthood, and the purity. Let's look at that again. Remember, these are the important parts of Leviticus that we're remembering. Ritual, priesthood, and purity. Now let's look at the next slide as a reminder of chapters 1 through 7 and 23 through 27. They're about the sacrifice and the feast day regulations. You may remember those. It's that set of uh, chapters of all those slides, excuse me, of all those particular uh, chapters. Chapters 8 through 10 and 21 through 22 are about the priestly duties. You see those. And then chapters 11 through 15 and 18 through 20 are about purity and holiness in every day. So we see all of those, and then they culminate with chapters 16 and 17. Remember to highlight the heart of the whole book, which is the Day of Atonement. Pastor Mark shared quite a bit about that last week. This is just a reminder of how this book is set up, and it helps us in our study and understanding God's Word. So we need to remember also these important guiding principles from the book of Leviticus. Understand that the book in its own context, including kind of the weird stuff. Maybe you've read through all of that. I believe there was a slide a couple of weeks ago of all the different things uh, about uh, marriage and life and sexuality and all those things. Next, the laws and regulations protect the sacred space. To be unclean or impure was not to be sinful. It meant you were ritually disqualified in sacred space until you became ritually clean, similar to that leper. Four, the laws and festivals restore and maintain access to God's presence and power for ancient Israel. And then avoid ripping verses out of their context. So, those four principles. So, for the last several weeks, while we've studied Leviticus, we've been looking at the four ways to live near God's presence. We're going to look back at those same four ways again by looking at some new passages of Scripture that further explain living near God's presence. So, let's dig in. Number one. God provided a way to live near his presence through ritual, but now it's through Jesus. Again, you may remember, same points, different scripture. So as you get your Bible, find the book of Leviticus if you haven't already. There's one in front of you in the chair if you need one. So let's look at this next slide on ritual. The passage that I want us to look at involves the guilt offering. You'll see that on the slide, which is one of the five offerings mentioned in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. The expression for this offering is, I'm sorry. Do you remember that? Five offerings, two expressions. They're listed on the right. The burnt offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, grain offering, and fellowship offering. So I'm going to kind of center in on the guilt offering. So we're going to look at Leviticus 6, 1 through 7. So, Leviticus 6, 1 through 7. When you have it, say, got it. I still hear a few pages. Thank you. I'm usually the slow one trying to turn. All right, here we go. 1 through 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a person sins and acts unfaithfully against the Lord and disavows the rightful claim of his neighbor's neighbor regarding a deposit, or a security entrusted to him, or regarding robbery, or has been extorted from his neighbor, 
or has found what was lost and lied about and sworn falsely, so that he sins regarding any of the things that people do. Then it shall be when he sins, he becomes guilty. Then he shall restore what he took by robbery or acquired by extortion or the deposit which was entrusted to him or the lost property which he found or anything about which he swore falsely. He shall make restitution for it in full and add to it a fifth more. He shall give it to the one whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. Then he shall bring to the priest his guilt offering to the Lord, a ram without defect from the flock, according to the assessment, as a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any of the things which he may have done to incur guilt. So from this passage, we see the description for the procedure of this guilt offering, in which sin places a person in debt. I would say, how many of you are in debt? Okay, I bet all of us somewhere, right? If you have a house, I don't know. So we're in debt. The debt was incurred when one neighbor defrauded or cheated another neighbor, which was equivalent to a sin against God. Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus similarly depicts the sinner as a debtor to God in reference there. Calvin writes, whenever an injury is inflicted on men, God in their person is offended. Excuse me, God in their person is offended. So our sin to others is a sin against God. So for those who've been in community group, you may remember recently the study of Isaiah 53 from this chapter about Christ as the suffering servant. By the way, plug for community group, we are meeting at 9 o'clock. Different teachers are teaching in here as well as youth and children, so come and join us to be a part of that. So they've been studying Isaiah, and so here is the suffering servant. Specifically, Christ is described as the guilt offering. Isaiah 53.10 says this, But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. He renders himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So, since this passage was interpreted by the New Testament writers to be prophecy of the suffering of Christ, Jesus' death must be understood as a guilt offering that has removed the debt we owe. It's what we owe to God. This is how we're able to, to claim Jesus paid for all our sins. Can you have an amen for that? He paid for all of our sins. We are not indebted to him. The doctrine or Christology, which is about Jesus and his teachings, is significant in regard to both the sin and the guilt offering, and specifically distinguishing feature of the guilt offering itself, which, which involved the removal of debt. So the sin offering represents kind of the passive aspect of the death of Christ, in that he met the demands of the law. He met the law's demands by, di by dying in the place of sinners. He did that for us. But the guilt offering represents that active aspect of the work of Christ. It's in fact, he carried out the will of God, completely an act of voluntary obedience. He did that voluntarily. It is a payment of a debt to render satisfaction, the restitution, the wrong that was committed, that we commit. You may remember this story. The graduating class of Morehouse College had 396 students, and a total cost of their student debt was around 40 or 50 million dollars, by most estimates. 
At their graduation on May 19, 2019, billionaire Robert F. Smith gave that graduating class a surprise gift. He announced during his commencement speech that he would pay off their entire student debt. Ching ching. Can you believe that? Wow. That was a debt that was paid. But you know, a greater debt has been paid by Jesus on the cross as he was the true and final guilt offering for our sin debt. That's what he did. So, do you realize the debt of your sin that Christ died for? Do you realize that, that debt? Sometimes we just kind of lose, get past it. Have you accepted the sin offering of Christ in your life? Has that happened already? Maybe you've been convicted of the debt of your sin, and the Holy Spirit's moving you to surrender to Jesus right now. This surrender comes when we confess and we turn from our sins and trust Jesus to save us, to save you. It's by faith that you believe that Jesus, he died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again on that third day, and he's going to one day return. Amen to that. We have that hope. It's at that moment, though, that the debt of your sins will be covered and paid for by the blood of Christ, and you'll be forgiven. Then you will be restored into that right relationship with God. That's what needs to happen if you're not in that place now. Your debt removed and paid for. So God provided a way to live near his presence through ritual. Now it's through Jesus. Let's look at the second way to live near God's presence. Number two. God provided a way to live near his presence through the priesthood. And now it's through Jesus. So let's go to Leviticus 9, 22 through 24. Leviticus 9, 22 through 24. Sticking with me? All right. 9, 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went to the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire went out from the Lord from the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell face downward. And I don't know if you kind of grasp that picture. Can you imagine fire coming down and just destroying it? I mean, wouldn't you be in awe, fall face down? Well, that's what's happening here. In this passage, we also see, though, that Moses and Aaron entered the tent meeting together. Aaron's entrance into the sanctuary, along with Moses, not only symbolized Aaron's new role as the servant of the sanctuary, but it demonstrated that role of mediating for the people. It was being passed from Moses to Aaron. After coming from the tabernacle, Moses and Aaron blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod, and is from the root K-B-D, which denotes heaviness or weightiness, as well as significance, superior value, distinction or splendor. It's that weightiness, that heaviness. So in Exodus 24, if we were to look back there, the glory of the Lord rests on the mountain of Sinai. In Exodus 40, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle, indicating the tabernacle had become a portable Sinai. 
The next appearance of the glory of the Lord is in this passage, is in the context of this inauguration of the priesthood and indicates that God has established and approved that sacrificial system. Now, there were manifestations or displays of God's glory as he demonstrates the desire to reveal himself and to dwell among men. See, he wants to dwell with us. How awesome is that? God with us. God wishes to dwell with men and to have this reality and splendor known to them. So the manifestation of the glory of God throughout the whole earth is a future representation of that reconciliation of God and man where he brings us together with life in the presence of God restored. He's bringing us together. We see this in Isaiah 40, verse 5. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So the glory of the Lord, it's revealed to us. The appearance of the Lord, though, was with fire here. It's comparable to the other great manifestations of God on other historic occasions, such as God's appearance on Mount Sinai, right, in the burning bush, the dedication of Solomon's temple. When the glory of the Lord appeared, the people responded, though, with joy and bowed to worship the Lord. It's significant that the first occurrence of the word joy in the Bible is in this context. The combination of worship with joy on this exalted occasion is in response to God, indicates the highest mood of the Old Testament religion was one with joy. The coming of the presence of God is the focal point of worship for the Old Testament saint as well as the New Testament believer. So that's the focus, and it's to be done with joy. When we come to God in worship, we should be overwhelmed when we consider He is holy and He is creator. While we are creatures and we've sinned against Him, we should come to worship just as the leper did who came back worshiping Jesus with gratitude with joy and with awe, giving God all the praise and glory. So, when it comes down to it, the presence of God is the focal point of worship, and it should be expressed with great joy. So how has God been revealing himself to you lately? In your home, job, or school? How is he showing himself? Are Are you recognizing those opportunities he may be giving you to show Christ's love or to share the gospel? Is God the focal point of your worship? Is God the focal point of this church in our worship? If not, what needs to change in your life, my life, your home, my home, your job, my job? And when we walk in the sanctuary, what needs to happen? What needs to be different? If you're a believer, then the glory of the Lord has appeared to you because he saved you. With that being said, does your worship of God demonstrate your joy? Does it demonstrate joy? Or are you going through the motions when you walk in here? Oh, it's another song. Oh, we're going through the motions or worship or Bible study. Just check off the box. We were here today. Is it with no meaning or does it have meaning to you today? If your worship is not with joy, what needs to happen for this to change? God provided a way to live near his presence through ritual. Now it's through Jesus. God provided a way to live near his presence through the priesthood, but now it's also through Jesus. Now look with me at the third way to live near God's presence. God provided a way to live near his presence through the purity laws, but now it's through Jesus. Are your Bibles still open? I hope so. Turn with me to Leviticus 19. We're just going to look at 1 and 2. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. 
Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. If you're online, I hope you're looking at your Bibles also. Join with me. Those purity laws in Jesus. So, let's look at verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. These two verses form an introduction to this entire chapter by admonishing the Israelites to be holy because the Lord is holy. The Hebrew word actually emphasizes holiness, and it can be translated in this way. Holy you shall be, for holy am I, the Lord your God. Let me repeat that. Holy you shall be, for holy am I, the Lord your God. We see in Deuteronomy 7 and 6, verse 7, excuse me, verse 6 of chapter 7, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Holiness is the sphere of purity unique only to God. From the human standpoint, holiness is what allows a believer to come in contact with God. Up to this point, Leviticus, terms related to the word holy have been referred primarily to the ritual state describing people, places, or objects that have been set apart for special purposes in the Lord's tabernacle. That's what it was referring to. But from Leviticus 19 on, holiness terms refer increasingly to a moral quality. That is, the Lord's unmatched moral purity and the love that sets him apart as distinct. It is this moral purity and love that the Israelites have been set apart to embody in the Lord's world, demonstrating his character to all who watch. He's been using it to demonstrate his character to all who watch. Holiness isn't accomplished by withdrawing from the world, y'all, but engaging actively in it. We have to engage. Living out the Lord's righteous character in every sphere of life, such as family, worship, business practices, proper treatment of poor and disadvantaged, the court of law, social interactions. That should be part of every sphere of our life that we should be demonstrating that. In short, holiness is not restricted to religious matters because all of life, guys, is a stage in which holiness is to be lived out. It's how we demonstrate it to those around us, for them to see a difference who we are in Christ. We are called to the same sort of purity in 1 Peter 1, 16. It, it's written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. The Apostle Paul helps us understand this call to purity. It's one of my, it's a tough set of verses, but I challenge it with the students often. It's Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. Why don't you turn there? Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. Keep your place in Leviticus. We'll be back. Turn to Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. Especially in our world today, in the, in the challenge of purity and holiness. Tell me, say, I've got it. You got it. Awesome. Here we go, Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness 
or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no sexual immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Such an important passage. There's so much in there. But of holiness and purity and thanks. So, are you the type of person who withdraws from the world? Or are you engaged in living out your faith in front of unbelievers? Do you live it out? With that said, how are you living out holiness in your family, school, or your job? You know, some people turn on the switch. I'm going to live this way here and this way here and this way here. It shouldn't be that way. What about your worship? Are you coming to God with a pure heart? How do those less fortunate, how are you treating those less fortunate? Do you ignore those in need? Many people are in need, especially during this Thanksgiving and Christmas time. How are you going to respond to them? Do we close our eyes? As you interact with those around you at gatherings or on social media, is holiness being lived out? How's it looking there? Is our church showing a life of purity and holiness to our community? Are we set apart? God provided a way to live near his presence through ritual, but now it's through Jesus. God provided a way to live near his presence through the priesthood, but now it's through Jesus. God provided a way to live near his presence through purity laws, but now it's through Jesus. Now let's look with, and look with me at the fourth way to live near God's presence. God provided a way to live near his presence through the Day of Atonement ritual, but now it's through Jesus in chapter 16 and 17. So, turn to chapter 16 for me in Leviticus. Hang in there with me. Leviticus 16, 32 through 34. Leviticus 16, 32 through 34. All right, I'm reading from the New American Standard. You may have a different translation. But I want you to listen to how many times you hear the word atonement. So kind of keep track and keep count as you, list, as you listen as I read and you follow along. Here we go. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Pastor Mark showed a video of all of that last week. So, how many times did you hear the word atonement? Who wants to holler it out and tell me? Five, very good. A lot, of, a lot of words on atonement. Five times just in those few verses. So important. It's, it's that pinnacle, it's that point of Leviticus that's so important for each one of us. The sacrifice of the sin offerings on the Day of Atonement corresponds to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a number of levels. Only the high priest could enter behind the veil on this special day. Only the high priest. Leviticus 16, 2 and 29 remind us of that. He entered an earthly sanctuary annually, which indicated that the daily, weekly, and monthly offerings already outlined in Leviticus were not sufficient to remove sin. Jesus Christ entered the heavenly sanctuary, of which the tabernacle was but a copy 
once for all. Did you hear that? It's a copy. In Ephesians 9, 23 through 24, it says this. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these things, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made by hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus entered, y'all, once for all into the Holy of Holies with his blood as our sin offering when he died on the cross. It was at that time the veil of the temple separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. It was torn in two. Matthew 27, 51 explains this. Let's look at this slide. You may remember it. There's the holy, of, the holy place and the Holy of Holies. And the temple, the veil was torn in two there. One commentary said this veil, which could only be entered into on the day, excuse me, one commentary said which could only be entered into on the day of atonement corresponds to the tearing of Jesus' flesh. If you remember that on the, uh, when he was whipped and his flesh was torn whereby not just the high priest has access once a year, but all now have access to the very presence of God. Because of Jesus, we have access to the one true God. How awesome is that, that we, can, we tend to forget at times. Listen to what Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says. Again, as we see Jesus in this, uh, in this point. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's approach God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It was the blood of Jesus that that represents the, that veil that was torn in two for us to have access to God as he went to the presence of God for us. Watch this short video clip just kind of as a reminder to us uh, of what Jesus did. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all was laid on him. A.W. Tozer says, The atonement in Jesus Christ's blood is perfect. There isn't anything that can be added to it. It is spotless, impeccable, flawless, 
It is perfect as God is perfect. Jesus made the way for believers to have access to the very presence of God. That's us as believers. So take some time to get into his presence more often, more than you're doing now. Hopefully you're reading your Bible more than just once a week. Hopefully it's every day. Getting time to be in God's presence, in his word. Let him speak to you. Are you thankful that you no longer have to give blood sacrifices? That would be a mess. To make atonement for our sins? Take some time to give thanks to God for sending Jesus to be the final sacrifice for your sins. So, take some time in just a moment when we have a time of prayer and pray. Ask God to give you a heart of gratitude like the leper as he went back and fell and worshipped Jesus and gave thanks. Ask God to reveal in your life where you've not been worshipping as you should. During this time, has God revealed any hidden sins? If so, confess them right now. Maybe you're carrying the guilt of a broken relationship or that you can't let go of some past hurts. Then ask the Holy Spirit to free you of this guilt. Remember, as a believer, the atonement has been paid by the blood of Jesus. It has been paid in full. If you're not a believer, remember, it's just surrendering to God by repentance and faith. And you can be saved in that moment in an instant by, by repentance and faith. Would you bow with me now in a time of prayer?